Thanks for joining us for the Covenant Living Broadcast with Pastor John Butler of Covenant Life Church, located at 130 Atlantic Avenue in Bremen, Georgia. On today's broadcast, Pastor John Butler speaks from the subject of Lessons from the Lord's Table. And now, here is today's broadcast. Chapter 26, Matthew 26. Matthew 26. We're going to read 26 through 30. Matthew 26, 26 through 30. New Living Translation says this, As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces, gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this and eat it, for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. And he gave it to them and said, Each of you drink from it, for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It's poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. Mark my words, Jesus said, I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And then they sang a hymn and they went out to the Mount of Olives. Father, we just pray that you would anoint your word, the hearing, the reading, the preaching, and the doing of your word. Lord, I just pray that you'd transform us today by your truth. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Were you all ready for some truth today? Amen. Amen. Well, in just a few minutes, we're going to observe communion together, the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table. But before we do that, I wanted to spend a little bit of time in the Word, looking at these last few days of Jesus on the earth. And and Bree mentioned it in worship uh, and they did such a wonderful job this morning and such a great job of setting the table. This, this, today, the focus is really on the last week of Jesus' of Jesus's life on the earth. And, and in particular, His last supper with His disciples is what I want us to look at today. So all four Gospels record the events that happened that night because it was, it was honestly and literally the turning point of history. In, in, in all of the history of mankind. And so the Apostle Paul even recorded it in 1 Corinthians, and we'll look at that in just a moment. But I think there's some things that we can look at and we can learn today that will make our time together in communion more meaningful. And so today I want to, I want to look at lessons from the Lord's table. Lessons from the Lord's table. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 is where Paul records his, uh, his revelation and I want, to, I want to read that with you now. For I pass on, this is the Apostle Paul, I pass on what I receive from the Lord Himself. Remember, Paul wasn't there. He wasn't at the Lord's Supper. But he had a revelation of Jesus Himself that qualified him to be an apostle. So he said, on the night when Jesus was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread <clears throat> and He gave thanks to God for it. Then He broke it in pieces and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this Look at this. Do this to remember me. In the same way he took the cup of uh, he took the cup of wine after supper saying, "This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this why? To remember me 
as often as, as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until He comes again. So anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. That's why you should examine yourselves before, you eat, before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread uh, or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. That's why many of you are weak and sick and some have even died. For if we would examine ourselves, we would not be judged by God in this way. Yet when we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned along with the world. Some heavy truths that are associated with, a, with partaking in communion. And, and I don't want to gloss over them, and I don't want to ignore them, because they're important, and they're in the Word. So, so I want us to look at three lessons today that we need to learn from the Lord's table. Here's the first one. Examine yourself. Examine yourself. Now, Paul was trying to address some issues that had arisen in the Corinthian church regarding communion. They had lost its meaning. It was, you wouldn't even have, if we just walked in on it, you wouldn't recognize what they were doing as communion. They, they lost its meaning. They were using it as an occasion to divide themselves and not to bring themselves together. So Paul called them out on it. And he told them, look, y'all have a heart problem. You got a heart problem. You can't act this way without having a problem in your heart. So he said, examine yourselves. That was, his, that was Paul's solution to them. He said, examine yourselves. Because you see, for Paul, self-examination was just as, part, just as much a part of the sacrament of communion as the bread and the wine. He said, every time you take it, you're announcing and proclaiming and remembering the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what is it that we're remembering? Why did He die in the first place? He died because we're sinners. Amen. He died because we're sinners. We cannot forget why Jesus came in the first place. It was for us. Jesus wasn't just up there in the heavenlies bored and looking for something to do. There was a purpose for His pain. There was a purpose for His coming. And the purpose was us. We were helpless in our, uh, against our sin on our own. We needed the power of God to break the chains of sin and to remove the death penalty that we were born with. Participating in communion reminds us why Jesus had to come and, and it reminds us of the price that He had to pay. So Paul knew we needed to be reminded that we're still living in a fallen world. We're still living in a fallen world. We're, we're still fighting our sin nature. We're still, we're still prone to sin. And so Paul said we need to examine ourselves to make sure that we're still walking worthy of the calling of God. That means we check our motives. We check our actions. We check our fruit. Are we bearing fruit as a follower of Jesus? Are, are, we, are our actions in line with how Jesus lived when He was on the earth? Are our motives pure? Are we doing the right things for the right reasons? Are we just doing things for show? Are we doing things out of spite sometimes? Paul said there are people who are preaching the gospel simply because they can't stand me. <laughs> what a ridiculous reason 
to serve. But that's the way people are. We've got to check our motives. Are we living a lifestyle of sin? See, it's one thing to give in to temptation in the heat of the moment. It's another thing to claim to be a blood-bought child of God and yet live a lifestyle that's clearly diametrically opposed to the written Word of God. Paul said, examine yourselves. Remember the body. Remember the blood. And it should cause us to examine ourselves. Man, what nerve to remember the sacrifice and the death of Jesus and continue to have unrepented sin in our lives. That's why Paul said, you're you're eating and drinking judgment to yourself if you don't examine yourself. So please, hear me this morning. Take some time, and we're going to before before we partake. Take some time to examine yourself. Don't take this lightly. If you know what communion means... If you understand the, the, the body and the blood of Jesus, if you understand the awful price that Jesus paid for us on the cross, then don't participate in communion without asking the Holy Spirit to search your heart. And when He reveals sin, be honest, be real, and repent of it. Not just saying, I'm sorry about that, Lord, but sincerely intending to change your life and change your ways and remove that thing. You say, well, look, I'm just going to skip communion. (laughs) You're missing the entire point. Paul didn't say examine yourself so you can skip it if you're not worthy. He said examine yourself so that when the Holy Spirit reveals sin in your life, it's an opportunity for you to repent and to come back into right relationship and right fellowship and intimacy with God. Don't miss the opportunity. Don't choose sin over Jesus. If you refuse to repent, then absolutely skip communion. That's what the Word says. Don't do it if you're not going to repent. But don't refuse to repent. Don't do that. Examine yourself today. That's the first lesson from the Lord's table. Here's the second one. Humble yourself. Humble yourself. I want to show you a few few humbling scriptures today. Matthew chapter 26, a little later than what we just read. So Jesus, uh, excuse me, Judas came straight to Jesus. Greetings, Rabbi. And he, he exclaimed and gave him the kiss. The kiss. Verse 50, Jesus said, my friend... Go ahead and do what you've come for. Then the others grabbed Jesus and arrested him. Now, let's let's move to verse 55 now. Verse 55, if we can jump ahead. Then Jesus said to the crowd, Am I some dangerous revolutionary that you come with swords and clubs to arrest me? Why didn't you arrest me in the temple? I was there teaching Every day, but this is all happening to fulfill the words of the prophets as recorded in scriptures. At that point, look at this at that point, all the disciples deserted him and fled. Let me ask you kind of an odd question Where do you draw the line? What would convince you to turn your back on Jesus and walk away? At what point do you say, I'm out? I just can't do that. I can't do that for Jesus. 
You might say, well, I would, I'd never turn my back on Jesus. I would never, ever. I, I would do anything for Him. I'd even die for Him. I would, I, I just, there's just not a line for me. I would never cross that line. Look at Matthew chapter 26. Just a few verses before, it says they all deserted Jesus. On the way, Jesus told them, hey, tonight you're all going to desert me. <laughs> for the scriptures say God's going to strike the shepherd, the, sheep's gonna, the, the flock is going to be scattered. But after I've been raised from the dead, I'll go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. Peter declared, if everyone else deserts you, I'm never going to desert you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night before the rooster crows, You'll deny me three times. You'll deny three times you even know me. No, insisted Peter. Even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the other disciples vowed the same thing. See, we wear Peter out, don't we? Every one of them said the same thing. I'll never leave you. I'll die for you if I have to. Lord, I'm never going to turn my back on you. Guess what? Within three hours, every one of them did exactly what they just swore they'd never do. So let me ask you again, where's your line? Is it money? For Judas, it was money. It was 30 pieces of silver. For roughly the value of a few weeks' work, Jesus, uh, Judas sold Jesus out. 30 pieces of silver was the price paid to a slave owner for the accidental death of his slave. The Son of God, the creator of the universe, was sold for a slave's price because Judas was upset at Jesus for the way he handled the money of the ministry. See, Judas had plans for that money of his own. He, he, the Bible says he helped himself quite generously whenever he wanted to. The Bible, and so, so the Bible says that when, he, when Jesus allowed extravagance to be spent on him from the woman who anointed him, it just it sent Judas over the edge. Jesus was messing up his plans. <laughs> How many people in today's church are fine with behaving like a Christian, with, with coming to church, with being kind, all the trappings of good old Southern Christianity, but they draw the line when Jesus messes up their plans with their money. Where's your line? Is it control? As Jesus came into Jerusalem just a few days before this, the crowds lined the streets shouting, Hosanna! We sung about it today. Hosanna to the Son of God. But for many of them, it wasn't pure praise. It was a cry of expectation. They were hoping Jesus was the Messiah who would deliver them from Roman oppression. They wanted to be free from Roman rule, so they shouted, Hosanna, which means save us, save us now. But by the end of the week, the same crowd was shouting a different, a different phrase. They were shouting, crucify him, <laughs> crucify him. Why? Where was their line? It was control and expectation. They were perfectly fine with Jesus as Messiah as long as he was going to deliver them from the Romans. But when they realized that wasn't going to happen anytime soon, they were done. They were done. Turned their backs on Him. You see, there are a lot of people who are fine with Jesus as long as they can use Him to get the answers to their prayers or the blessing of God. But when they realize that He's not a genie in a bottle, when they realize that He's on the throne and He doesn't take orders from us, they're done. 
We'd never do stuff like that, would we? (laughs) How many people do you know who have turned their backs on God in a tough time or when something didn't go the way they thought it should? I'm not making light of tragedy. I'm not making light of a difficult time because I've been there myself and they can make you question the character and the nature of God. They can make you question His decisions. It's a terrible place to be. But sometimes it's an indication that we were only interested in a God that we could control with our prayers. A God who meets our expectations. And the moment He stops answering the way or in the time frame that we expected, we're done. See, for some people, their line is control and expectation. They can't fathom serving a God they can't control. But as they said of Aslan, the the God figure, the Jesus figure in C.S. Lewis' classic, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, I love this line. They said, he is not a tame lion. God is not a tame God. You can't domesticate him. You can't make him serve your purposes. God identifies himself with his own uniqueness and his own independence. He said, I am who I am. I'm not trying to be like somebody else. I'm not trying to meet your expectations. I am self-sufficient and self-contained in myself. You need to get to know me for who I am, not for who you want me to be. What would make you turn your back on Jesus? Is it your personal safety? For the disciples, they were, the, the, they were in danger of being associated with Jesus. They were, in, they were all in three hours ago, but when the angry mob showed up with clubs and swords, they hit the road. Peter hung around for a few hours from a distance, but when he was confronted, he was done too. Swore he'd never even heard of Jesus. Their personal safety was their line. They were unwilling to cross it, at least at at that point in their lives. A lot of American Christians are content to send money overseas. They're content to finance the work of the kingdom, but don't ask them to go. You know, the mission feels dangerous. The inner city missions are dangerous. You know, the, the wrong side of town is dangerous. So they rationalize, God will never expect me to put myself in danger for the gospel. I'm not putting myself in harm's way. That, that's a line I'm not going to cross. Where's your line? Is it pride? Jesus told the disciples that night before dinner, He said, you've got to learn to wash each other's feet and serve each other. It's the only way to be a leader in the kingdom. See, there are a lot of people who are okay with living right and being good. They draw the line at serving others. Wash somebody's feet? Never. Sir, help somebody that doesn't appreciate it? Not me. Do something that's beneath my station in life? Not going to happen. Pride is their line. Is it, is it shame and guilt? Do you think it's just you've just done too much? Judas was so stricken with shame and guilt for selling Jesus out that he threw the money back, the 30 pieces of silver, back at the priest who had paid him, and then he went and hung himself. He didn't go back and repent like Peter did. He, he didn't throw himself on the mercies of God. He simply decided that God could never love somebody like him. That his sin, he decided, was so great that he just disqualified himself from the mercies of God. I know a lot of people who have decided that they've done too much or gone too far 
for the blood of Jesus to wash away their sins. Where's your line? Is it evidence? Do you need evidence? Thomas said, after being told about the resurrection, he said, listen, I'm not believing none of that. I'm not believing it until I see it with my own eyes. I don't care what you say. I need to see it. There's lots of people who say the same thing about living by faith. They can't do what God calls them to do until they see the evidence. Can't take a chance without a guaranteed result. Nope, God, I'm, not, I'm only going this far. Uh, you, you're going to have to write it on a wall for me to be able to do that. They maxed out their faith and found their line. So what's the lesson here? What's the lesson? What are you trying to say to us, John? You, you want us to make some sort of declaration today that we're never going to abandon Jesus? Nah. There's no need. No need to do that. Every one of these guys already did that. There's no merit in trying to figure out where your line is. But if and when you come to it, trust Jesus to take you by the hand and step over it and keep following Him. The lesson here is to be humble enough to admit that you have a line. Everybody has a line. You say, John, you're a pastor. You've got a, you've got a line? Surely preachers don't have a line. Where they a point where, the, where they're questioning and maybe even turning their backs on God. John the Baptist did. John the Baptist, before they, before they beheaded him, John the Baptist sent some of his guys and said, you go ask Jesus if, he, if, he, if he's the one or if we should be waiting. He was, so, he was so offended with Jesus about something, he was ready to just give up on him. He'd reached his line. Those of you that have been here for a while, you've heard me share... You've heard me share some of my testimony about it, but almost 15 years ago, I stood on this platform while I was on staff here, stood on this platform, leading worship to a God I wasn't even sure I still believed in. Circumstances in my life had brought me to a point that I never thought I could get to. But I found my line. I found my line. So there's no judgment in this house about people having a line if you walk with Jesus long enough, he's gonna, you're going to come to the end of yourself eventually. You're going to come to that place. Some call it a crisis of faith. Some call it a dark night of the soul. I don't care what you call it, but it's a terrible, lonely place to be. But Jesus is still there. Never leaves you. Never forsakes you. Waiting on you to take his hand and let him lead you, not only over the line that you thought you couldn't cross, but into a land of faith that you never thought you'd reach. But listen, don't say never. Don't say never. Don't say that you don't or you never could because you might be closer to it than anybody. Let me show you a few scriptures. Paul warned us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He said, if you think you're standing strong, you better be careful not to fall. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He's not going to allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you're tempted, He'll show you a way out so that you can endure. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul said it this way. So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. Romans chapter one, uh, excuse me, chapter twelve and verse three. 
It said, because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you're better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourself by the faith God gives us. Over and over and over again, the Word reminds us of our own human frailty and our own, our own innate ability to do things that are not in keeping with God's will for our lives. We've got to be humble enough to admit that we all have a line. We all have a breaking point. We all have a stumbling block. Something that can get in our heads and turn our hearts in turmoil. Something that can shake us to our core. That's why Jesus said, Do this to remember me. When you eat the bread and you drink the wine, remember what I'm about to do for you on the cross. Because listen, he knew exactly what was about to happen. He knew every one of those men, everyone in the crowd that week, every one of them had a line. And Jesus knew that they were not going to cross it. And yet he brought those twelve to the table to remind them and to remind us what he was about to do. And he was about to prove once and for all that there is no line that Jesus won't cross to bring us hope and healing and forgiveness. We have lines. Jesus don't have lines. The lesson from the Lord's table is to humble yourself. He's not intimidated by your failures. That's why He came. The more humble you are about your weaknesses, the further you'll stay from that line. The more humble you are at the table this morning, and the more you remember what He did for you, the more that you'll stay strong and faithful to the Lord, but only to the extent that you are totally dependent on Him and His power. So examine yourself and humble yourself this morning. Here's the third thing. Return to the table. Return to the table. Let me read verse 26 again from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until He comes again. Every time you do it, Paul said, every time Jesus wants us to remember Him over and over and over. The lesson we learn from the failures of those that were eating with Him that night isn't to declare your loyalty. It's not to make a promise that you can't keep. It's, it's to remember Him when you fall. It's to return to His table. Remember Him again. Every time we fall, we can go back to the body and the blood and find healing and redemption and forgiveness. The lesson of the Lord's table is not that we will always be faithful, but that His table will always be open for us to return to. The sacrifice of Jesus was offered once and for all, but the benefits of that sacrifice are offered eternally. His mercy is new every morning. His forgiveness is offered every day. You say, but I keep doing the wrong, I keep sinning the same way. Every time I keep getting up, I keep falling. Every time. I'm not sure He's going to forgive me this time. Listen, let me ask you this. Who do you think has higher standards? You or God? Who has higher standards? Choose God. Say God. Yeah, okay. What did Jesus say we were required in the area of forgiveness? 
He said 70 times 7 every day for the same offense. 490 times every day for the same offense is what God requires of us. I promise you, He'll do no less than that on our behalf if we repent and come to Him. Forgiveness is always extended to those who truly repent. I want to show you this in 1 John, because this is the good news. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9. But if we confess our sins to Him, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from our, all our unrighteousness, our wickedness. And just a couple of verses later in chapter 2, My dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of the whole world. And then Hebrews chapter 4 says this. Hebrews 4, verse 16. And I may have asked you to take that out, did I? Okay. He said in Hebrews 4, we can come boldly to the throne of grace, and we can there we can receive mercy. There we can receive mercy and forgiveness when we go. When we realize that we've sinned, when we realize that we've fallen short, when we realize we've found our line and we've abandoned Jesus, we can obtain mercy and forgiveness and healing and help and redemption. And it's the blood and the body of Jesus that gives us access to those benefits. So return to the table today over and over again like like the old hymn says Jesus keep me near the cross over and over again listen if you realize this morning that you have sin in your life run into God's presence not away from him God already knows about it you're not going to surprise him you're not going to disappoint him he brought you here today to call you to himself So don't ignore Him. When we confess our sins and we really repent, He welcomes us with open arms. He restores our intimacy with Him. And He brings us back to a purity that we had the first time we gave ourselves to Him. But we have to humble ourselves. We have to examine ourselves honestly. We have to return to the table. Would you stand with me today? We pray that you've been blessed and inspired by today's Covenant Living broadcast with Pastor John Butler. You can hear today's message in its entirety by visiting our website at covenantlifewestga.org. You can find this video there on our homepage. Just click the YouTube button and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. Give us a call at 770-537-3747. That's 770-537-3747. At Covenant Life, our mission is to go and make disciples by being real, relational, and reaching. Be sure to join us next week for more Covenant Living with Pastor John Butler.